Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we conclude Mark's gospel account with chapter 16, and it's perhaps actually a very short chapter. We're going to read the 20 verses that are in your English Bible, and then we're going to talk about what that footnote means after you read verse 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Putting a temporary pause here, because we're going to make a distinction in just a minute. But we continue with verses 9 through 20 that are printed in your Bible. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into the heaven, and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. This chapter is a challenge, and it's not a challenge for the reason of the oddities that we read at the end of the chapter. It's a challenge because we're not sure these words belong there. And when we come back to that, let's cover the first eight verses of which there are no arguments uh, among the Christians in, in the church of old or of today. So first we have the idea that Mary Magdalene and Mary and Salome on... Well, they had to wait for the Sabbath to pass. So it's now Saturday evening or into Sunday morning, and they've bought spices so that they can anoint him. This is a time to ask your children the question, do these women believe in Jesus? 
What has Jesus promised that they're neglecting? Jesus has promised his disciples that on the third day he would rise from the dead. And yet here these ladies go to the tomb to pour spices, perfumes over his decaying flesh to cover up the scent uh, of death. There's, there's not a belief here. There's a, a love of a man that they knew, but not as the man that he actually is. I'm not going to say was, because he still is. Jesus Christ is. He lives. So just as the disciples don't get it, so also here the, the women haven't gotten it. At least not yet. That's coming. Faith is coming for all of them. Uh, it's just not here yet. And so on Sunday they go. And I love the little phrase, when the sun had risen, uh, S-U-N in English, but we know that the sun, S-O-N, had risen too. Uh, so it's kind of neat to play on words there. Uh, they go to the tomb and they find, well, at first, as they're on their way, they, they realize that they can't roll the stone away themselves. And they're wondering how they're going to actually get in the tomb to do the work that they have come to do, which is an interesting um interesting moment of forgetfulness, I guess you'd say, as, as you prepare to do a job and you forget a detail about it. But as they get to the tomb, stone's already gone. It's been rolled away. And they find an angel there, verse 5. And their response to the angel is the, the same as people do normally. They are alarmed. They're afraid. And he tells them not to be. They seek Jesus but Jesus has risen. He is not here. That's the good news, the beautiful good news, that our Savior lives. And then he, he points them to Jesus' own promise, uh, that he is going to Galilee. They should tell this to the disciples and to Peter, that they will find Jesus in Galilee, just as he had promised them. Was that two chapters ago that he had said that? And they flee. They're trembling, they're astonished. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Eventually they open their mouths, so that's a temporary silence for them that Mark's referring to. Now you have the footnote, the little note in your text, most likely, I think almost every English Bible puts this in there. It says, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. So, here's where we're at. There is an English scholar by the name of Bart Ehrman, E-H-R-M-A-N, who has made himself famous in the Christian circle for, I think it's a book called Misquoting Jesus was the first attack, in which he essentially says that a Christian cannot trust God's word to be God's word, that there are hundreds of thousands of errors in it. It was 300,000 when he wrote that book, and now it's up to 400,000. And really challenging the Christian on this. Now, brief notes on that and why I'm even bringing him up. First, the 75% of those errors 
are really simple spelling layers. Whereas the Bible is the Bible was first written down by the, the apostles, right? The New Testament written by, for example, here, um, a student of the apostles directly, Mark, or you think of Paul's 13 letters that he wrote and such. Those are originally written by them. We don't have any of the original handwritten letters of scripture. We have copies. So as they sent their letters, um, so Mark sent this to Rome or, you know, Paul wrote a letter to Galatia, to the Galatians. When those churches received those letters, they copied them, hand copied the letters, and they would send them then to other churches. They'd keep the original probably themselves and send, send their copies along to someone else. And copies were made of the copies and copy, 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 copy until you get to the point where in the, you know, uh, 50 years later, 100 years later, what you know of as your New Testament, by and large, most Christian churches in that area have pretty much all of those letters in their church and they can read them and they can they can study the, the word of God together. And when you make copies, you know, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. And so, again, spelling is the big one. Um, I do this as an illustration with confirmation students every, every other year, and I've done it in Bible class with adults a couple of times as well. Um, you know, if I were to read a, a Bible verse, so if I were to read to you, what's a tough one? Let's go with verse 43 of chapter 15 from yesterday. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So you write that down as I'm speaking it aloud. That's how copies were made. And then you hold on to that for a couple of weeks and then you bring it back. And I, I would have, you know, I would keep track of how many people had been there to make copies. And then we would gather together a couple of weeks later. We'd look at the copies that everybody had, if they still had them. You know, some of them are already lost at that point or damaged. We'd look at what was left and we'd compare them. And then I'd put up a, a chart on the board to show them how close they were. For example, Arimathea. How many people would have misspelled that word? That word in particular, probably most people would misspell. And so there you've got, again, the bulk of the errors that airmen and others are pointing to. And this is an attack on your faith you hear probably quite a bit. So airmen, in the conclusion of his book, actually not the conclusion, in the appendix of that book, misquoting Jesus, will go on to tell you that 98 point something percent of God's word of the New Testament can be held to be true without a doubt. That there's no debate that those are the original words that the apostles intended. You know, if we have 30 people trying to spell Arimathea, and we put those all side by side, even with the spelling errors, we're going to figure out that it was Arimathea. Or if, you know, somebody misspelled Pilate as P-I-L-O-T instead of ATE at the end, we'd figure out it was talking about Pilate. So Airman himself, who introduced this major critique of Christianity that has destroyed the faith of some, Airman himself admits that 
over 98% of the New Testament, we can be certain, is actually the original word recorded by those apostles. What isn't? Verses 9 through 20 of this chapter, and also verses, uh, it's in John, the account of the, the woman caught in adultery that they want to stone, and Jesus says, whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone. That's the other one. Those two spots are the only spots that we really have trouble knowing if the apostles themselves actually wrote those. That's it. No doctrine in the New Testament has changed. Nothing is lost. Because even if you look at those two texts, still nothing is lost if they're not original um, to God's word. So that's something important for you to hear uh, and to see and to know, as your Bible probably isn't going to have that great of an explanation of this. So here's how this one plays out. The earliest copies of Mark's gospel don't have an ending. They don't have anything after verse 8. It ends there. The early church fathers, uh, for the next couple hundred years, when they're quoting from Mark's gospel, none of them quote anything after verse 8 as they do their writings. That could just be a coincidence. You know, it, it may not say anything, but it's important to note. And anything after verse 8, the vocab is different than what Mark normally speaks like, which is notable. It's noteworthy. So why might this be? Well, on the first point, it could be, it could well be Mark intended to end his gospel at verse 8 because of his context and who he's writing to. He has just made the bold declaration that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and that the Roman centurion who had been at the foot of the cross knows it. In other words, Romans, as you read this gospel, as you hear this word, go find out for yourselves. Go, look, talk to people, figure this out. Is Jesus really raised from the dead? There's actually a really neat movie that was made a couple of years ago on this called Risen. But just R-I-S-E-N is the full title. Um, it stars the guy that played Luther in the Luther movie in 2000 or 2001 that Thrivent made. Uh, Joseph Fiennes, Fiennes, I don't remember how you pronounce the name. It's a great film. Um, it's not, in a sense, it's not biblical because it, it starts at the crucifixion and it covers what likely happened in the weeks to follow. Rome wanted to know where the body was. The Jews wanted to know where the body was. And so the story of that film follows a Roman soldier who is tasked by his by his governor, by Pilate, uh, he's tasked with finding the body. And it just, it's, it's intriguing. It creates some great conversations. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it to just about everyone. It's PG-13, if I recall correctly, so maybe not the littlest of kids. Um, but I think even some elementary age kids could, could have some good conversation from that film. So parents, screen it first, certainly, if you'd like to, so you know what you're doing, what you're looking at with your children, but it's worth your time. Now, 9 through 20 are not the only ending that we have. There are a few manuscripts who end it after verse 8 by including these, I guess it would be two verses maybe, but they reported briefly to Peter and those with him all that they had been told. And after this, Jesus sent out by means of them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. Once again, that ending is not very Markan. It's not Mark's language. Um, 
And if 9 through 20 had been the original ending, who would have dropped 9 through 20 off to add that? So that one's not likely. Another one that isn't likely uh, goes through verse 14. So it has verses 9 through 14. And it's only a couple of copies that do this, a couple of manuscripts. At verse 14, they then add instead a different ending from that point on. It says, and they excused themselves, saying, This age of lawlessness and unbelief is under Satan, who does not allow the truth and power of God to prevail over the unclean things of the spirits. Therefore, reveal thy righteousness now. Thus they spoke to Christ, and Christ replied to them, The term of years of Satan's power has been fulfilled. But other terrible things draw near. And for those who have sinned, I was delivered over to death, that they may return to the truth and sin no more, in order that they may inherit the spirit and incorruptible glory of righteousness, which is in heaven. Again, um, not Mark's language. There's even a couple of things in there that don't show up elsewhere in Scripture. All three of these possible endings, I mean, the most likely scenario is you have copyists later on who want Mark's gospel to have an ending. They want it to have a conclusion. They don't want it to be open-ended, and so they, they penned a conclusion. That's the most likely thing that happened. Um, verses 9 through 20 are included for you in your Bibles because out of the three endings, they're the most accounted for. They're, they show up the most in the copies. And it's just one of those things where if these words actually are originally marks, we don't want to lose them. And so they're included. We just, we just don't think that Mark wrote them. So there's a possibility they're marks, but most likely they're not, if that makes sense. So they're included just in case we read them, just in case. Uh, but the church essentially just doesn't make doctrine off of these things. So you don't see among the Lutherans, um, verses 17 and 18 are really the challenge. The rest of it's easier. You know, for example, verse 16, we love. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. That's in our catechism. It's in, it's in our book of Concord. We, we appreciate that verse a lot. If this isn't Mark, is that lost? No, we have that theology elsewhere. You know, First uh, Peter chapter 3, for example, as he talks about baptism, where he says, baptism now saves you. Or Jesus to uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Whoever, he, he speaks in this way as well, the idea that you must be born again, born of water and the Spirit. Um, Jesus talks about baptism frequently in the Gospels. So we, we don't lose it uh, if we lose this. But 17 and 18 are kind of the key in, in that way. Um, casting out demons, speaking new tongues, picking up serpents with their hands, drinking deadly poisons, laying their hands on the sick, they recover. I mean, you see this. There are churches today who do these things intentionally to prove their faith. And that's, even if this is original to Mark, that was never the purpose. We see some of these things. Uh, the apostles will be forced to drink poison, and God will miraculously spare them. Or uh, one of the apostles bitten by a snake should have died, but God spares him. That's the kind of stuff Jesus is getting at with this, if, again, it's original. Not encouraging Christians to do these things to prove themselves. That's not the Christian way. It wasn't Jesus' way. He doesn't do stuff to prove himself. He lets the word speak for him, and 
when challenged by death, he stays firm. He stays faithful. And so we do as, as the church as well. So I don't, I know this was a longer show and I included that not, not to hopefully concern you with your faith, but to share with you how solid scripture is. Um, so again, your Bible tells you, it gives you the heads up. These verses may not really be marks. And even all those scholars out there who debate Christians and try to prove our faith is, is empty and vain and foolish, even the ones who have truly studied all the copies of the New Testament we have, which, by the way, we have more of the New Testament than any other ancient document by far. It's not even close. We have over 25,000 copies of the New Testament, and we're, we still find more, which is why I said earlier there's more errors now than when Ehrman wrote his book, because every time somebody misspells something, it just adds to the total. Um, where they use the word he instead of Jesus. There's a difference. There's an error, uh, but you can figure it out. So we are confident uh, of the scriptures of the New Testament. There is not a challenge to that. It's just these two passages here and also uh, the adulterous woman in John, at the end of 7, end of chapter 8. Those two chunks, we just don't know. Everything else, we are firm uh, we thank the Lord for giving us such solid, solid evidence um, that can accompany our faith and encourage our faith in these things. So we have seen the resurrection of Christ, most likely Mark intending to leave it empty, and not empty, open, so that the Romans who hear this good news will go and hear more, that they're intrigued and they want to find out what happened next. And so they go and they talk to the eyewitnesses who can tell them the rest of the story. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.